What up? This is Open Mike Eagle. I'm taking a break from shooting a thing to do this podcast intro. Sometimes when I schedule things in my life, I forget that I have to do a podcast intro the day before the podcast goes up and I don't leave any room in my schedule for it. Right now, I'm dressed weird because I'm shooting a thing that um, I'm going to be able to show y'all soon, but I can't talk about it now. I just got to feel funny doing this intro and know that I have people waiting on me to be done doing it so that I can go back and do the thing that we all scheduled for today. Um, this is Secret Skin. I'm Open Mike Eagle. In this episode, I'm speaking with legendary Roots Crew MC Dice Raw, who is an excellent conversationalist in addition to being an excellent rapper. And uh, you can sample more of his conversation by listening to his podcast, The Raw Report, that's also right here on the Stony Island Audio Network. All right. Uh, shout out to the host, Stony Island Audio. Shout out to my man, Jake Bowman, uh, who does the uh editing for the intros here shout out to uh rob who did the editing for the episode shout out to will who's doing the editing for the video uh, shout out to you for listening please rate and uh review i was about to say describe <laughs> please rate and describe um rate and review and let people know give us uh five star ratings however many stars it lets you give us if they if they allow you 10 please do 10 don't do five just because i said five uh give us the maximum uh especially if that's what's on your heart um i'm open mike eagle this is a conversation with dice raw this is secret skin and um i don't know how many more of these are gonna be talk soon Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What up, sir? Mr. Dice Raw. What's up? Open mic. Yo, what, what up with you, man? Oh, man. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's good to see you. You know, sit here and talk to you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course, man. I, I'm excited to do so. I've been a fan of yours uh, many years, man. One funny thing I wanted to bring up, man. I don't know. You, I'm sure you don't remember our very first internet interaction. And it's not embarrassing at all. It's not like that kind of thing. I'm just very sure you don't remember it. And I'm going to ask you about it. Okay. Back in the MySpace days, <laughs> one day, you know, I log into my MySpace as I used to check it faithfully for any sign of life in my in my budding music career. Right. Uh, I log in and I have a notification. I have a, a message on my bulletin board or, or my uh, my page. They had the little spot where people could leave a note. Right. And I had one from Dice Raw. Oh shit. And it says something like. The real shit is coming back. Something like that. Something something <laughs> kind of lightweight, positive like that. Right, <laughs> you know right. What I'm saying? The real shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, snap. That's tight. That's wrong. I left a message on my thing. And I think I must have sent you a message or a friend request or something. And then, it, you know, never saw nothing back. And I'm like, dang, I wonder what that was about. And then I, I went to your page and I looked on your outward face. And I don't remember what they used to call that part. 
But it looked like a bunch of people. Like I, it, I don't know if it was some bot you was using, or something. But it seemed like he was just automatically leaving, leaving these little encouraging messages on people's pages. Oh wow, that's hilarious. Yeah, man, it was it was really funny, man. I thought I thought I had a friend, man, and it, it wasn't so. <laughs> it, it is so. You know what I'm saying? Now, now we finally got a chance to link. Years later, it is so. But I don't know. I thought that was funny. I, I reflect back on stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? As as I get older and have like real life interactions with people, I'm like, dang, I remember this one time. I thought me and Dice was gonna be cool many years prior. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I'll tell you what's funny about MySpace is one of my homies, uh, he only listens to uh th- this this recording he has from MySpace. And it's like one song I had on my MySpace page. He's like, Yo, that's my shit. I'm like, what about everything else I put out? He's like, Yeah, man, oh, that's my shit. I'm like, from my MySpace page? I'm like, I don't even know what song it is. People like, yo, that joint that was on your MySpace page, that shit was fired. I'm like, thanks, man. That's hilarious, man, because that, that's something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to with you in questions, because just having the kind of long career you've had, I bet, man, there's there's many people who have grabbed on to like one thing. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And like, that's that's how they see you. That's what they mess with you for. And they don't really want nothing else. That's very true. I'm sure I'm sure it's been like that. But we'll get to that, too. I wanted to start at the beginning with you. And I remember from a conversation we had that you didn't grow up in Philly, which was surprising to me because I first heard you so young on the early root stuff. So I was surprised to hear that you had had, you know, you were all over the place even before that. As much as you'd want to share with people, I'm, I'm interested in like, what, what was your early life story? Oh, well, early life is, uh, you know, I actually am from Philly. But I did spend a lot of my early time like in uh, San Antonio from like uh, second to third grade. I was in San Antonio, but I was born in Philly. I spent some time on the West Coast, too, uh, when I was like 14, from like 14 to like 16. I lived in uh, Van Nuys, which is funny. But yeah, for, for, for the most part, it is Philly for the most part. So how was it you first end up linking with the Roots? Because you were mad young when that happened. Yeah, so I lived in um, Van Nuys, and I would be working in the studios in L.A., and uh, I was writing songs for this group called Playtime, which was signed to, like, Belle Biv DeVoe. Or actually, actually, it was only, they was only, they were signed to Ronnie and Ricky, actually. Biv had Biv 10, which was, like, very successful, and he had, you know, uh, ABC and, and Boys to Men, and then Ronnie and Ricky started something called Mental, Mental Productions, where they was like basically saying that they was crazy. They was mentally insane or crazy beats. And I think they was kind of right with the crazy part, you know what I'm saying? Because they <laughs> they really was just trying to do exactly what what Biv was doing by ABC. And then they had a group called Playtime, which was just like... A bunch of other kids. Yeah, a bunch of kids who used to wear their they pants on their head and shit like that. It was like, whoa, like what's our gimmick? You know what I'm saying? It was wearing their shoes on their on hands and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know that stupid shit that people used to do. But I was like trying to write rhymes for them back in the day. So wait, how old are you then? Oh, I'm 14. 14. I don't want to interrupt the flow of the story, but if you're writing rhymes for, you know, musicians with a record deal at 14... And like, where is your start with rhyming? Like, how early do you start? And like, how do you get that good that fast? You know what's so crazy? I had been rapping for a long time. Like, I had really started like rapping, like seriously, like when I was maybe like eight, nine. Wow. Yeah, like eight, nine. Because everybody in my neighborhood did something. It was like, you either break danced or you wrote graffiti. 
You was like a DJ. I mean, we had like 10-year-old DJs on our block. And, I mean, all kind of crazy stuff. We had a real musical neighborhood, you know? When I interviewed Prince Paul for the first season of What It Happened was, he told me that too. Like, he was out on the block DJing at 10, which is like mind-blowing to me. But I guess that's what it was like on the East Coast. Because when, when I was 10, that it wasn't safe. It wasn't even about safety. What it was was... It wasn't a park jam culture like that. It wasn't that kind of culture. Right, right. And Philly was just kind of like doing its own thing, but still kind of influenced by New York and what was going on because we were so close. So you start rhyming eight, nine, like you writing songs and all that then? Like are you, you out in the park rapping? Like, <laughs> nah, You know what? It was, it was so wild because I never even knew people would write their rhymes down. So it was just like a freestyle type of thing. To the first day I went to the studio and somebody was like, yo, turn the mic on. They started with press record. I started rapping. They was like, all right, that was great. They was like, do it one more time. I was like, all right. So I started rapping. It's a whole different rap. They was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They was like, what, what was the joint you was just kicking a few minutes ago? I was like, oh, I don't know. I was like, I was just kind of just flowing. And they was like, you was making that. And, you, and you're, how old are you then? How, how old are you this, this first time in the studio? I'm 13 when the first time I get to the studio. And I'm um, with my man Kilo. Shout out Kilo. He stole me fourteen hundred dollars, though. <laughs> I mean, he's rich. That's that's the part that really just fucks me, but bothers me. And, like this guy's he's a millionaire. He owes me fourteen hundred dollars. He just refuses to pay me. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I love him. He came to my mother's funeral though, so you know. That's that's worth something, but it ain't. It's, it's still not fourteen hundred dollars. I asked him. I said, "Did you did you bring my money?" You know what I'm saying? And, he said, I'll dice you're an asshole. I said, well, I'm just, I just thought I'd ask. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean you know, well, anyway, but shout out Kilo, who discovered me. And that's the thing with black people. Like, you know, when somebody discover you, no matter what, like, you owe them forever. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, you know, you can never get out of it. They brought you in this world, and they'll take you out. That whole routine. But yeah, so uh, I'm in the studio, and I, this is when I realized that people wrote their raps down. And I was like, oh, shit, that makes sense because people's raps were so much better than mine. I'm like, well, damn, like, how cool G rap coming up with this shit off the top of his head? And, and I'm like, oh, damn, they writing it down. Ah, oh, makes sense. I don't know if you ever heard this because I don't know. Do you know the Freestyle Fellowship cast at all? AC Alone, Mike and Nine? I never met them, but I know, I know AC Alone very well. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, just, just his work, his body of work. Word, word. That's part of their story, too, is that early 80s they're hearing music coming out of new york they're hearing rap from there and they're assuming everybody's freestyle so when they got together and was rhyming they thought they had to be as good as what the music that they was hearing on the radio and on tapes was. So that's how they all got really good at freestyling because it was kind of the same thing. They didn't know people was writing their rhymes down at first. So how do you end up linking up with Ronnie and Ricky? Oh, it was a local talent show where uh, they were had like a producer. His name, actually Kilo, he was in the audience and like Boys the Men was in the audience at this talent show and I won the talent show, like the whole overall. Freestyle and I won and it was crazy because it was like comedians, dancers, all kind of like talented people that was in it. But with no material prepared, I destroyed them all and I won. And that's how I got it connected to um, Ricky and uh, Ronnie. Wow. And so they bring you in the studio 
And it's funny, too, because now that I think about it in the whole new edition thing, they got brought into the business in a very shady way. So I'm wondering how up and up was they were with you? Shady. <laughs> bringing you into the shady. business. <laughs> but no, nah, they was cool. They was cool. It was uh, the mom is what messed up Playtime's record deal. But I'll never forget, like, when I would see them coming in the studio, like, you know, walking on their hands because their shoes was on. Their shoes was on their hands, you know what I'm saying? They was wearing their hats. <laughs> they was wearing hats on their feet, you know what I mean? They had them walking, they had them walking upside down. It was their gimmick, you know. Nah, they mom messed they messed they deal up. But I remember writing rhymes, and I would see them with like taking pictures with like Ice T and all these other rappers, and I'm like, well, damn, like I want to be in playtime. And the engineer at the time was like, yo, you're not that kind of rapper. And I was like, well, what kind of rapper am I? Because I'm a kid, basically. I don't know, you know, the difference between what I am and what they are is, is, is widely, wildly different, you know? He was just kept telling me, he's like, yo, man, you're just not that kind of rapper. Trust me, you'll be okay. And I was like, whatever. I was like, they got a picture with Snoop. He was like, yo, you'll be okay. <laughs> and I, I just kept complaining. I just kept complaining to him all the time. What did he mean by that? Like, what kind of rappers were they? They were, I guess... Rappers who had ghostwriters who were commercial, who were gimmicky, and he was basically saying I was not that. But he didn't know what I was either. But because he, or maybe he did, but he didn't specify. But he was just like, "Yo, you're not that kind of rapper. Like, you know, let them do that. Just keep writing the raps for them." And and I was just like, "Ah, oh, this is boring." <laughs> Yeah, you want the fame and the pictures with Snoop and all that, man. You're not gonna get that. Yeah, I want the, I want the, I want to wear my fucking shoes on my hands. What are we doing here? So going, you know, from that, and then you end up back in Philly, kind of soon after that, because it's not too much later than you, than I, than when I first heard you. I feel like, right? Right, right. So I remember hearing a Roots demo when I was in L.A. and the Roots put out a demo, and I was just like, damn, this shit is hot. And then, um. Never really got a chance to meet them. Then I heard that they got a million dollar record deal. I was like, holy shit. Somebody from Philly got a million dollar record deal? And I was like, I didn't even know they, they even had them. You know what I mean? So that was like a big thing. So the Roots had like a record release party. I went down to the record release party. And then somehow they knew Kilo. So at the day after the record release party, they asked me to come to the hotel. They had like a whole studio set up in the hotel room. So um, it was vibing, just busting it up, smoking weed and... Uh, and how old are you then? Oh, right now I'm, I'm about 16. Okay. So they're they breaking all kind of laws. I don't even know if they know that they're doing it. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But they was, I mean, but thought, you know, he's only four years older than I am. You know what I mean? So. Okay, right. So y'all kicking it like youngsters. Yeah, he's 20. I'm 16, but he's still like an OG to me. You know what I'm saying? At least at that time. And then I just went to the hotel and I just stayed. Like I never went home. You know what I mean? And then uh, then I went home, and then I started just coming back and going back and forth because we wound up getting kicked out of the hotel, and then had to go to the studio down the street. So Damn. Okay, so how long after meeting him do y'all record what ends up becoming the lesson off of uh, Do You Want More? I would say I knew them for about a year and a half, maybe. I just kind of going to the studio, just hanging out every day. And then, at some, then I remember I just got a phone call before I went to school, and they was like, yo, we want you to come to the studio uh, when you get out of school later. And I was like, all right, cool. So I just came down there and they had like this, the beat set up. And I remember I wrote a rap all day in school. I was writing, I was like, I'm going to write this joint. So I was writing it, I wrote it, I, I practiced all day in school. Then I left school, I went straight to the studio, and uh, the rap was whack. I balled it up, threw it in the trash, and then I freestyled what is, what's on the record now. Dice, roll, dice, roll. The 
fucking wild noise. Get on a mic, get on a mic and perpetrate in this void. I leave niggas missing an action like the dads in the projects. My style like a nomad, travel around and catch rat. I'm ill versatile with the skill no more. Whack and seize wanna flex, but these styles ain't born. And then Quest kept stopping it too. Like, he's like, yo, 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 give me a shout out. He's like, yo, 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 do that other part again. I'm like, yeah, what the hell is going on here? You know what I'm saying? So you're going off the head and he's he's stopping the session and you got to pick it back up? Yeah. I mean, he only stopped it like twice. You know what I'm saying? But he, he definitely stopped it. And I had to like, but it didn't even matter. They they just let me keep going. They just was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's let... <laughs> and I don't even know what they erased because... It's the whatever the uh when I when I shout quest out in that joint, whatever was before that is not even a line. So I don't even remember what was already on. So that was it was just, you know, we was kids. So that was all off the head. That was a question I have for you. Oh yeah, off the top. I'm a uh freestyler too, man. So you know I always I always give it up when I hear solid freestyle, man. Like right. Did y'all make a bunch more music at that time? You was you was kicking it with them. You said a year and a half. Did y'all make a bunch of stuff before that, or was that really like the first time y'all y'all did a song together? Yeah, that was the first time we did a song together. But we would we would kind of like freestyle like all the time. You know what I mean? Just get high and just be busting rap. You go, you kick something, I kick something. You kick something, I kick like that kind of stuff. Cause Black Dog's crazy off the head too, right? Like oh, this shit's ridiculous. I remember that joint off of um, uh, from the ground up worldwide. Where he just goes off. I goes on and on to the break. I don't never stop her. Kid like me is into hip hopper. Whatever. My size is mad clever. I sport a leather jacket with the knapsack included. Into the back and I'm uniquely rooted. In Man, and Quest raps on that song too. But Black Thought gets on. You can, you can tell it's kind of freestyle. And he just like psh, takes off. So you said you was in school at this time. So did you have like a plan? Did you have like a life planned out? Like you was going to do this, this, and that, and that? Or was it always going to be music one way or another? I had no plans. And, you know, it's so wild. Like, my mom, she was just, like, so, like, it's, it's weird because everybody was like, yo, your mom was the truth, man. You know, she always supported your dreams. And your mom thought you was a star or your mom did this. And really what, what it was is my mom got my report card and, like, a, like I guess, like, an attitude test or some shit they did on me back in the day. And she was just like, yo. <laughs> hold up something ain't right here so she you know yeah so I, I think it was more or less like her just like trying to just making sure I wouldn't end up homeless or in jail or or something like that because you know they, they said I was gifted when I was in kindergarten it was like they texted me was like yo he's mentally gifted he needs to go to this school over here or it was all white school it was far as fuck I spent two years there they, they sent me right back to the hood and said this nigga's not mentally gifted he's mentally retarded <laughs> it's like, you know, who the hell who the hell gave him that test, you know what I mean? But the test that they gave me after that, I think it really worried my mom, you know what I mean? Like she even filled out like job applications for me and shit like that and, and was sending them to like sandwich shops, like I'll bomb pain and I I'd go to the interviews and the motherfuckers would just be looking at me like they didn't believe a word I was saying. <laughs> and I'd be in there like I remember I went to this one sandwich shop and he was like, So tell me, why do you think you be a good fit here at I'm Bon Pain. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, well, first of all, you guys make great sandwiches. I love sandwiches. I was like, my favorite sandwich is corned beef. I was like, but I can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich pretty well. I've never had I never had chicken salad, but you know, I'd be willing to try. I'd be willing to try turkey on rye, you know, different breads. And he just looked at me the whole time like, yo, you're full of shit. <laughs> and at the end of it, at the end of the interview, he said, you know, I just don't think you're I'm Bon Pain material. Wow. But he was right. 
I'm not, I, I'm not fit to make sandwiches. He was he was correct. That's that's another display of your off the head skills, though, man. You just rattling off right. sandwiches right. in the interview. I started interview, hitting man. them with it. I was like, look, man, I, I've never heard of sourdough, <laughs> but I'm willing to work with it. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Wonder Bread at my house. Wonder Bread. Oh man, so you you know, like with the roots, you get on the lesson, uh, which was you know in my world that was a real big deal. Like you know, that's probably around the time. For me personally, I really, really started digging deep into like, you know, what was considered underground music, backpacker music before I had that term at the time. Before we had an identity <laughs> as black men. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when it was just like, this is this is the good rap. Yeah. <laughs> that's just all I that's all I thought it was. It's just black men who just weren't selling crack twenty four seven. They didn't have a name for us then. Right. These guys have they have nice beards and cool jackets. Sometimes they wear ski goggles. You know what I'm saying? Like that was that was my type of music. You know what I'm saying? You know, before the labels. So you you link with them. Uh, you're on that song, and so that's "Do You Want More," which is like prime ever roots with the band, and you hear the band in every song, or or it's like you know Rozelle beatboxing. It's all very organic, analog sounding. So the next album is uh, "Illadelph Half Life." And it starts to become more of like a sample-based kind of sound, like like kind of more towards what else is happening uh, in the scene at the time, except you still got musicians involved everywhere, but the, the beats sound more like traditional beats. Did you have a thought about that at the time, like as, as the sound was changing? Was that something that you had a thought about or a feeling about either way? No, not really. It was just like whatever was going on, we were just going to make it happen. And I think we was really influenced by like Wu-Tang and like, you know, Buckshot Shorty and Nas and all that stuff that was going on. It did get a little bit more rough, like the beat wise, you know, song wise, like what we was talking about got a little bit more street. You know what I mean? So. And the first single for that is, of course, Clones. Oh, right. Shit. So once you get into this era, for me personally, this is where I'm so on it. When the singles drop, I'm aware and I'm anticipating albums like this. It's that sort of time for me. So like this song hits. I'm already as big of a Roots fan as you can be owning the one album I own. But the song was very exciting. Man, I remember this this coming on like the little college radio show I used to listen to at the time. I had that on the tape. I used to run that thing back over and over again. Me and the homies used to fig try to figure out how to play that piano part on the piano at our high school because it's like it, it sounds like it's the same note but then it like the tune and changes while he's hitting the same like how does he do it it was it was it was crazy for us but how did it feel like for you like what was your experience like being on a single for a group that had that much buzz on in a big record deal at the time I, you know what? I, I was so stupid. Like, it didn't make no sense. Like, they would always be like, yo, don't you know that you're like a rapper? Like, why don't you act like you're a rapper? I'm like, what are you talking about? They were like, yo, you're not just like a regular person. You just can't go buy weed at the weed place. And, and I was just like, why Why not? You know what I mean? So, I, I mean, to me, it really wasn't a big deal. And you know what's so funny? I didn't like Clone's beat. Like, when I first heard it, it was my beat. And I was like, man, I don't like this, y'all. And Quest was like, yo, can I add his beat? And I was like, yeah, I don't care. When you say it's your beat, what, what does that mean? Like, the producer made it for me. Like, it was my session, because I was working on my project. And I was like, eh. I was like, I don't really like this beat. And they was like, you crazy. You don't like this beat? I'm like, eh. It's all right. It wasn't really blowing me away. You know what I mean? So, so I gave it to him. Did it sound... Pretty similar to how it sounds now, like the drum rolls and all that. Yeah, it was it was the whole song, clones, everything, like the whole thing. It was it was called clones. It was my song. It was clones. 
You know what I mean? Like, I, that, yeah, that's the only reason why Mars is on it because they ain't even like Mars like that. They ain't even fuck with Mars. Okay. He, he was like the guy that came through that used to get on everybody's nerves and shit. But he was my homie. You know what I mean? So that's the only reason why he got on that song because it was already done. And that was it. I hate getting locked up because that upstate bus reminds me of the slave ship. Because in the Bible, never saved I guess that's why every juvenile is in the same predicament. You want to slave so that's your song. What what project was you working on at the time? Nothing. And you know what's so funny? I'll never forget this. Like, Patrick Mossy, my main man. Like, you know, it's like I was such a, like, a crazy, like, not understanding the record business, not understanding how the whole shit worked, like, at all. And this guy wanted to get me, like, this. the guy, uh, he had Guru on his label. He had J. Rue the Damage on his label. What was their label called? Uh, I forget. But you know what I'm talking about. It was like Chrysalis. It was like Chrysalis or something, something else they was on. Duck, not Duck Down. That was Drew Hyde and them. But whatever label they was on, dude, the president came down and wanted to sign me to their label. And he was like, yo, we don't even got to do a whole album. He's like, I'll give you 50000 for a single deal. Now, mind you, I'm 18 years old. I'm like a single deal. I'm like, man. Because I already got like, I was like, I already kind of got like, a million dollar deal on the table. I'm like, and I'm not even taking that. I was like, why would I take this 50000 for one song? But now, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> it was like, yo, somebody, and look, and people was like, yo, that nigga crazy. Like, <laughs> yo, he really don't care. You know what I'm saying? I really, I just didn't understand what $50,000 even was. Like, I didn't understand, like, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. So you are fully embedded at the roots at this time. And you know you own singles. You're you're in the group, and eventually you do end up signing a solo deal with MCA. Yeah, which is a pretty big label. So I mean, at the time you signed that deal, was was it starting to click for you? Did did people explain it to you, or is it still kind of just like fuck it and just just keep just pushing through? You know, kind of. But you know, at this point, it's like you know I was you know I was telling Black Thought about this too, like maybe like a couple months ago. It's so funny, like how. I just was so used to it that it didn't mean any. It didn't really matter. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was like okay, I'm put out a record. Everybody put out. Everybody I know got a record out. You know what I mean? Like it was like all my friends got record deals. Like it's just not it's, okay. I got a record deal. Big deal. Like it like, It just didn't click. Like I don't, I'm just a weirdo, Mike. I mean, but I, when I saw the money, this time I saw the actual money. I was like, oh wait a minute, this is different. And I was like, oh, wait, I kind of dig this. You know what I'm saying? They was, like, sending limousines for me. And I was like, what the hell? Because, like, we went through that whole underground phase where it was, like, no money. And then it was, like, all this money at some point. And we was like, damn. I was like, you know, I got a chance to experience that early 2000 kind of music industry nonsense that was kind of going on a little bit. So, I mean, it kind of clicked a little bit, but not really. You know, I recorded the album. The album was whack. That's your opinion? That's your takeaway now? Yeah, the reclaiming the dead. The reclaiming the dead was whack. I mean, it was whack then, but I didn't, you know, I put the record together and I was already done. And then it was like, yo, you spent, you didn't spend enough money. That's what the record come. The record come was like, yo, you didn't spend enough money. Like I spent twenty thousand. Cause the way they broke it down, it was like, look, there's like, yo, if you spend whatever you don't spend, you get to put it in your pocket. Right. So that means you're gonna spend as little as possible, right? That was my philosophy. I was like, yo, I spent twenty G's album done and you know what that shit was raw that shit was hot you know what i'm saying and then they was like yo you ain't spent enough so then i went back and then spent like another two hundred eighty thousand, 
just kept going and doing shit, string arrangements, this, all kinds of just nut shit every day. Doing, I was like, I'll never do that shit again. And I never got a million dollar record budget again. But, you know, <laughs> I, I should have just took the 20000 and spent that and just, because it didn't even matter. At the end of the day, the shit didn't sell no matter what. Whether I spent, I could have spent $10 on it. And they didn't really push it either, right? No, they didn't push it. They was like, man, fuck this shit. Like we spent actually, you know what they did? They did they they did try to push it, but you know, again, I was a kid, and basically the Roots and all them, they wasn't even thinking about my record at this time. They was like, "Yo, man, let they do whatever the hell they want to do. We got our own, we got our own shit going on, right?" So I'm basically running the whole shit. So I had the I had the recording budget and the marketing budget, like full control over it. Like, full control. So it was like, yo, what do you want to do? I don't know. I want to make a cartoon. They was like, for your video? I was like, I love cartoons, goddammit. <laughs> it was like, he, he likes cartoons. Like, fucking let him, let him go. I mean, he is a kid. They're like, well, he is a kid. Let, you know, let him fucking do this shit. So. Does that inform why you put out your records on your own now? I know a lot of your joints come out on Raw Life Records, which I assume is your biz. Right. Did you want to get another deal? and Or, or did you just decide that, like... It's better, it's easier for you to move on your own. Man, it gets stupider. It gets stupider and stupider, Mike. So <laughs> after my album didn't come out, and like I just spent like basically like a million dollars, right? So now I'm just like, ah, I'm not really with majors. I'm sour on the whole thing, right? Right. This guy came in, offered me $300,000 to do another indie project. I got, I could get the 300000 all cash up front. I told this dude, no. <laughs> I was like, nah, I'm good. Uh, why did you tell him no? Because I'm an idiot. I don't know why the fuck I told this guy no. <laughs> and like, yo, but they respected me so much. They were like, yo, man, this guy, he just doesn't give a fuck. Like, and I, I you know, I just didn't understand that I could have had that $300,000 and just put it in my pocket and did whatever the fuck I want with it. But, you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. This would be an assumption, but it don't sound like you had like a like a solid manager or something. No, like. I did, but he was crazy as I was. Oh well, that ain't good. <laughs> yeah, he was he was crazy as I was. He was just super smart. Look, if Rich told me not to do something, I just didn't do it. Oh, Rich, Roots, Rich. Yeah, this yeah, we had the same manager, but at the same time, Rich was managing me. He was micromanaging me as a part of just like the Roots Collective. It's like it's like like I was he was my day to day manager. But really, he was just managing the roots. Just, but I was just like this side piece of the roots that he just was like, okay, I'm just gonna, I have to manage this thing or it'll get out of control too. So, you know, Rich, Rich had me as a system with control. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. So, you know, you've been up to mad projects, you know, in the last few years. One of them I definitely wanted to talk to you about, even though I hadn't gotten a chance to experience it. The Last Jimmy, 
is a musical you put together and I know it's about like incarceration among other things and as much as you can explain it for people who haven't heard it like myself I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about it uh, well last Jimmy is a musical that was inspired by Jimmy's back which is the album and you know Jimmy's back was inspired by Michelle Alexander's book the new Jim Crow and the Jimmy's back the Jimmy's back albums inspired the musical which actually inspired my whole career in theater. Yeah, so I mean, it's about mass incarceration. It's about the unfair judicial system. It's about police brutality. It's about the disconnect between black fathers and sons. It's a lot, man. It's, it's a heavy piece. It's a real heavy piece. You know, it has, a, it has its faith-based elements in it as well. Sometimes I wonder why I'm even alive. I'm scared of death even though I wonder when I'm gonna die. Will I make it to heaven? Or will I just fry? I wonder if hell is boring like watching paint dry. Never been a saint, so I won't complain when it's time. I take my damnation like a man at my demise. But I what is your journey in theater been like? Like, what made you get into it? Actually, you know, it's so crazy. Like, Apple saw that I was putting Jimmy's back out and was like, yo, come up to New York, perform in front of the store or at, no, at, at the store. So I had some brothers in orange jumpsuits kind of line up in front of the store. And then I had them walk in the store, and then basically I had like one of my white friends, his name's Christos. I had him play play a lawyer who was basically just like a public defender, just case after case after case. And they were like, "Yo, what the fuck is going on in here?" They were like, "Yo, it almost feels like a theatrical." And that's when I was like, "Oh shit, you know, maybe I can go in that direction. Like, why not?" And then uh, one of my boys used to be a writer at Disney. Shout out Phil, Phil Brown. And he was like, "Yo, I'll, I'll write your script." He's like, "Yo, this animal shit sounds like an opera to me." So that's where he just kind of started basing it off of the whole thing was Animal, the song Animal. And then we took that, did the play, and then bitch-ass Kendrick Lamar stole my shit. Because let's just get right to it, Mike. Oh, let's get yeah. right to it. Oh, let's get yeah. right to it. I remember. Nah, I'm just joking. I remember this on social media yeah, yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Kendrick Lamar is a bitch-ass nigga. I, I think he's a genius. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, great geniuses often, you know, borrow concepts and refine them. I think somebody gave him some bad advice and he just ran with it. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody was like, "Yo, man, you should do this thing. It should be like a musical. It should be like a hip hop." Da 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 da. And they never told him that they got it from me. You know what I'm saying? But you know, one of his peoples called me and was like, "Yo, Dice, man, he's so heartbroken. He can't. He can't get out of bed. He don't know." Like I was like, "All right, so so what?" He's like, "Yo, man, would you say something online?" Like I was like, "Say something like what?" They was like, "You know, like an apology." I was like, "Apologize for what?" I'm like, "Yo, if he called me." And say, yo, I didn't steal your show, then I'll forgive him. Like, I mean, what reason would I have not to believe him as just taking a man at his word? Now, if he don't call me, how can I apologize to a man I never spoke to? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So that's the first things first. The second thing, second, is the reason why I didn't trip on him, or people like, oh, Dice, you took the high road on that. I was like, yo, it's not even about that. It's about mass incarceration. It's not one man's fight anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I can't win this shit by myself so somebody like Kendrick wanted to shed light on a problem like mass incarceration or what's going on with with people and the, the the unfair treatment of blacks and cops then yo I welcome anybody to that fight you know what I'm saying like please more the more the merrier you know what I'm saying just don't be stealing my shit it'd be different if you had a show called the Dice Raw Story and he did that like that'd be a different conversation but since it was ultimately about shining light on a cause that only needs more and more attention. He did it brilliantly. I'll never forget, like, I'm so crazy, Mike. Like, 
I'm watching this shit. I'm hype. I'm like, yo, this nigga killing that shit. I'm like, yo, what the fucking Grammy shut that shit down. And then motherfuckers call me like, yo, man, that's your shit. I'm like, wait, it is? <laughs> I'm like, nah. They're like, yo, man. Like the people from the theater in LA was like, yo, man, we know who we invited here. The motherfuckers from the Naris Association, though they was here. They stole the fucking shit and told Kendrick Lamar to do it. Wow. So it's like easy connections to draw on everything. It's not like it's just like... I mean, kind of. Because here's the other thing. Like, Phil, the guy who wrote the script, my guy from Disney, he made the jail cells gold in the script for a reason. And it's because the gold chains and gold handcuffs... And, I mean, well, the gold chains is like an imprisonment of the mind. So he made the bars like an extension of gold jewelry. So that's why the jail cells were gold in The Last Jimmy. Now, why is Kendrick Lamar's jail cells gold? He got to call you and tell you. Well, he never called me. Exactly. <laughs> well, they told me he's a blood. But guess what? I'm with the Crips. <laughs> oh, man. The saga continues, damn it. This is actually a navy blue jacket. Well, there it is. There it is. We're going to color correct the video footage after the fact. We're going to have you whatever the opposite of flamed up is. We'll have we'll put that in and post. The Crips uh, actually, uh, they turned down my... Uh a membership uh, offer. I, I, I sent in a letter to, to join. They told me that they don't let people jump off the porch at 40. They said, uh, <laughs> they said, once you hit 18 dice, we can't let you in. They said, we, we never had nobody jump off the porch at age 40. It's just ridiculous. They said, you must be trying to seek protection from Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> I said, well, well, I said, well, God damn it, somebody got to save me out here. I, I don't want to come out to LA for weed. I said, well, can some Crips just come meet me at the airport? They said, no. I said, Said, okay, well, that's fine. Damn, that sucks. They say it's a young man's sport, man. What, what can you do? Gang banging is a young man's game. You're right, absolutely correct. It is. It's so very expected that I was going to be laughing during this whole conversation because, you know, just from talking to you and, and, and meeting you in person, like, I got to know you were a really funny person. But then, to take it even a step further, last year, you start posting about a comedy album. Right. And I'm like, looking at the post, I'm like, is this serious? Like, is he really about to drop? And you really did. You really dropped a stand-up comedy album. And I heard it. And I was prepared to have to make up something. I was prepared to have to, like... Like, yo, man, I heard your shit, man. Like, yo, keep up the good work. <laughs> you know, like, you know, stay inspired. You know what I'm saying? The life path I've taken, I've heard a shit ton of comedy, right? And I remember telling you, man, like, these are sophisticated bits. This ain't some shit where you just woke up one day and decided to do this. Like, a lot, this is like a real polish to what you were doing. And, I, and I'm really curious, what was your journey with comedy? When did you pick that up? Please welcome Dice Raw. I'm a musician, so, you know, I, I like to get high, and I think that most musicians get high. I mean, some musicians don't get high or take a sip or whatever, and their shit sucks, you know what I'm saying? And I mean, Jimi Hendrix got high. How don't you get high? Like, who's the motherfuckers back then that's like, nah, I'll pass, you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, pass? It's like, but, yo, the one group that I'm sure that, that probably didn't get high was the Monkees. The monkeys, yeah, you know, I mean, and, and I gotta do some research on it, but it would make sense because if the monkeys didn't get high, because their music was fucking corny as shit. That was tricky too, but you know, I'm a firm believer in like, you know, like we're living, right? You can say, okay, I'm I'm living, and another way to look at it is like, yo, I ain't got that much time left. 
So it's like what I like to do is just get whatever it is I want to do. Like if I want to do it, I just fucking do it. I don't care who likes it. I don't care how much it sells. I don't care. I don't care if it sells. You know what I'm saying? Like I just don't give a fuck about the Grammys. I don't give a fuck about the American Music Awards. I don't give a fuck about Billboard. Like for all I care, like they don't even exist. You know what I'm saying? They don't even exist until I'm nominated. I'll show up with a nice tuxedo on and I'll be sitting in the front row <laughs> and I'll, I won't curse or say anything off-putting once I accept my award. If I am ever extended that invitation, not nah, fuck them, motherfucker. You know, like I see all. You know, so my whole thing is, I'm like, look. I'm just going to create, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. And if people don't like it, then fine. But I used to work with this producer named Peanut, right? And Peanut used to always be like, yo, man, you need to put your personality in your music. And I'd be like, put my personality in my music? I'm like, I am putting my personality in my music. I'm a motherfucking gangster, nigga. You know what I'm saying? I'm a motherfucking gangster. And he was like, ah. He's like, I don't know if you're the hardest gangster I know, Dice. He's like, yeah, that's so no. But I used to believe this in my mind. Mike. Like, like, I used to actually think, I was like, a fucking gangster. Like, I, I I thought I was prison ready at one point of my life. I'm like, yo, I'm ready. I'm ready. Like, you know, but like, out of my mind. Totally out of my mind, right? So he'd be like, yo, man, you need to make your songs more funny. He said, put your personality in your music. And I'm like, uh, I don't know what the fuck this nut-ass nigga talking about. Anyway, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Moving on. And then one day I was in a bar, and it wasn't that many people in the bar. It was like uh, like the bartender... Like whoever I, whoever I was talking to next to me, and then like a couple women in the back of me that was like sitting down. And uh, I'm in a bar. I'm actually in LA. I'm at um, what's that garlic place? Stinking Rose. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Stinking Rose, exactly. I'm in the Stinking Rose, right? And it, are they still open? Did did, did 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 they get COVID? Yeah, I you know I actually have no idea what their status is now, but it's been open. It was open for a long time. But this is old school LA, Mike. You know what I mean? This is old school. This is old school LA. You know what I mean, Mike? Yeah. Well, you got to talk in this voice. Yeah, that part of town is stinking rose. Oh, great spot. <laughs> anyway, I'm in this bar, and I'm talking. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I look, and everybody in the bar was listening to what I was saying, like my conversation. And even the bartender was like mid-shake. And he was like, and I was like, wait, are these motherfuckers listening to me? I'm like, holy shit. Do you remember what story you was telling or what you were talking about at the time? I don't know what the fuck I was talking about, but all I know is they were all just waiting for me to finish whatever the hell I was saying. And I was like, yo, <laughs> I said, these motherfuckers actually care what I'm talking about. So I started just talking a little bit on stage. Cause like then then we had the nouveau reach. So I went from, you know, the whole, you know, rap shit to kind of doing like the independent rock shit with Nikki. Now I got another band. I'm the oldest person in the group. You know what I'm saying? Everybody in the group is like 10 years old. I'm like fucking 30, you know what I'm saying? And um and it is wild because uh, I would talk, I would do little shit in between. And they'd be like, "Yo, man, get back to the music. Like you're not here for a stand-up show." And I would, and I, but I would just kind of get into that realm and then I was hosting. So I was hosting mad events. Like I did old school New York, I did Jam House. I used to do like five like weekly residencies, like artists and residencies. I'm doing like five of them shits in one week. So I'm like Philly one day, Baltimore another day, New York. There's all these little clubs. But at the end of the week, I'm making a pretty hefty, some some coin. You know what I'm saying? But it's all these just like little spots. It's like 100 people. You know what I'm saying? Like 100 people. You know what I mean? And the shit was so crazy. I would do most of the hosting and I would just rap a little bit. 
So I think that's kind of where like I've started honing in my skills a little bit. But I always love comedy. I don't really consider myself a comedian, but me neither, G. Yeah, yeah. I just tried it. It's like, yo, I'm I'm a painter, really. And today, uh, comedy was my canvas. Is how I look at. It. That's what's up. Yeah, cause I, I I always resist that term too, cause I know I do some stuff that's funny, but I also like I'm such a person that um I'm a respecter of craft that like. You know, I know what it's like when you do that for a living and the kind of hell you got to go through to really get good. So I would never take that title if I haven't really like earned it. You know what I'm saying? But I, I really was was impressed by your uh, by your stand up album. And what was the reaction like to people when they when they when they heard it? I mean, some people really like it. Like my friends that are comedians, though, like real comedians, they haven't returned any of my phone calls. You know what I'm saying? But that's messed up. Man. <laughs> nah, but um, nah, people really like it. And then one of my homies, like I got, I got this homie, man. I swear to God, I don't even think we really friends. You know what I'm saying? To be honest with you, like um, but like I, I thought we was friends. But in any case, I sent him the comedy album. He was like, "Yo, man," he said. I listened to your comedy album. He said it's pretty good. He said, what you going to do when people like this shit more than your music? I was like, what are you talking about? I said, what, you don't like my music? He's like, nah, nah, nah. He said, yo, Clones was my shit. I'm like, Clones? I'm like, yo, you know how many, I'm like, you know how many albums I put out since Clones? <laughs> he's like, I'm just saying, man, like, you know, this comedy shit, shit kind of funny, man. Like, he's like, you going to feel any kind of way? You going to feel any kind of way about that when that happened? Like, I feel like he's always trying to give me, like, bad news or something. He's like that friend. You know what I mean? Like, you know what else he does? I'm like, I'll be clear with him. He always tells me how much money he's got. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's like, he's like, he's like, you know, I just, I just made a few hundred thousand. You know, da, da, da. I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. But I have more money than him. Like, he's, he's bragging. I don't know if he knows that or not. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he must not. He, he must be waiting on you to tell him your side so he can square the circle. I think he wants me to do that. I just never do. I'm like, oh, that's beautiful, man. I'm keep, keep up the good work. You know. Maybe one day you'll get to my level. I should say that one day. <laughs> Maybe one day. You should. One nah, day. I'm not gonna say that. I, I'm actually not speaking. To, I'm not speaking to him any longer. <laughs> oh well, he makes you feel bad. So you shouldn't speak to people who make you feel bad. Well, he doesn't make me feel bad. I just didn't understand where it was coming from. So somebody was like, "Oh, you know, he's insecure." And I was like, "Oh, oh, 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 oh well, that, well, that makes sense. I don't know why." You know what I'm saying? But it's like, yeah, you know, he's, he has to. He, he, you make him feel bad. They, they say I make him feel bad. So now he's got to tell me that he's got a lot of money or something. And I was just like, oh man. But it's the same guy that told you he's he's trying to ask you what you're gonna feel like if people like comedy more than than your music, right? He, that sounds like a question for somebody trying to make you feel bad. Well, I mean, I I don't know. To me, I, it just seemed like I thought he liked the comedy. I, I took it as a compliment. I was like, well, maybe he likes the comedy. You know, I try to look in the positive. Everybody, Mike, even assholes, even my asshole friends. I hear you. Sometimes you gotta stop listen listening early when people talk. I try to look at I try to look <laughs> exactly. at the bright side, even for them. <laughs> One thing I'm curious of as we wrap up, man, for somebody who's been rhyming as long as you and you started rhyming at eight, nine years old, what is your relationship, if you have one overall, to like rap nowadays? Like, do you do you check stuff out? Are you a person who just listens to what you enjoyed from whenever era that was? Or how do you go about it? Oh, Mike, I listen to everything. That's how I came across you, bro. Word. Yeah, it's like I didn't come across like... You're, like nobody like put me on to you like yo dice check out over my eagle and like I'm like I keep my ear to the gristle and I heard I heard some shit from you I was like yo what the fuck I'm like who is this nigga <laughs> I heard like some shit from you like and like the same week some I heard some shit from like this guy Mick Jenkins and I already liked him 
I liked him because of his last name. So, you know what I mean? Ah, right, right, right. Jenkins clan. Jenkins clan. Yeah, you know, it's me, it's him, it's Young Jeezy. I think that'll be an interesting record. I want to hear Mick Jenkins and Young Jeezy. I want to hear Jenkins on Jenkins. The Jenkins boys. So, yeah, if you listen to a lot of stuff, if you keep your editor ground, does that mean you end up hearing a lot of stuff you don't like? Or does it, or or do you find a way to kind of appreciate it all? Well, I mean, some shit is just whack. Some shit is just whack. And if some shit is just not your cup of tea, I think people should be able to say that. But like to me, like I really like like uh, NBA Young Boy. You know what I mean? Like I like him. I don't like his politics, but I like his songs. You know what I mean? Because uh, if it comes down to him or Jay Prince, I'm picking Jay Prince. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Every day of the week. Shout out Jay Prince. Anything I can do for you in Philadelphia, you let me know, sir, and it will be done. You smart man, saying? smart but man. But I do like NBA Youngboy's songs. Uh, I think he's talented. I actually like Kodak Black, some of his stuff. I'm feeling ESTG, that song he has with Yo Gotti. It was like, I'm standing over your girl, letting it dangle, doing a cabbage patch. I mean, to me, that was funny when he said that. And uh, I like that. I like 42 Doug. I like some of the stuff he's spitting. I like the Migos' new song, Straightening. I like Meek Mill. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm saying everybody that I think is gangster, so I, so I say protect it. <laughs> like, oh, I, I, like, uh, I, like, I like Yo Gotti. I like, you know, all the gangsters. You know, I love them. You know what I mean? They're great guys. You know, they seem like they're really great guys. That's funny. Now, like, you know who I really like? I like Drake. I, I actually like Drake. Drake is very talented, man. Oh, I love Kanye West, too. Kanye West is my favorite. I'll tell you that. Now, Kanye... I got mixed feelings about, but that's because ultimately the politics kind of soured me on him as a person. Now I feel like I can't trust him. And if I can't trust him, I don't want to hear what he got to say because I feel like he's trying to poison my mind. You know, it's just one of them things where like him and his antics have kind of turned me off to the music. I don't even think Kanye is a musical event. I think he's just an event. He is. And there's just, and there's music that's just happening around this thing that's going on. The storm of a person. Exactly. But you got to think about it. I mean, to be the richest black man that's ever walked American soil. Heavy. That's incredible. That's heavy. That's incredible. And if you think about it, his life as an individual human being was heavy even before that. all that money. It was super heavy because he's the most influential. Yeah. So could you can only imagine a new pressure. Yeah. And some people say, oh, Jay-Z. Jay-Z had it. Then Kanye took it and ran with it. Because Jay-Z's influence was, it was music, it was rap persona, and it was like a little bit of like how you dress, but only for like a real limited time. You know what I'm saying? Where Kanye is all of that, plus it's the business of all of that. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and then it's taking the fashion forward, and it's taking the stage show forward, and it's taking the, the music video forward. It's like progression on every level. And that is, that's an incredible amount of pressure to always have to top that every time. Well, I mean, I think that goes into a lot of times when people like us, and I say us, like people like you, people like me, people like Kanye, that when you are this intelligent African-American who has done, who just woke up and done something that you felt like doing, and then somebody says, yo, that's brilliant, or yo, 
that moves you from this category of a person to this category of a person or 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 the status changes and it's not based off of you seeking status it's not based off of you seeking anything but just waking up doing something that you felt like doing and and then to have the intelligence aspect of it is almost puts you in, in another loop because people feel as though they're comfortable talking to you a certain way or they're comfortable with sharing certain things to you that they ordinarily wouldn't share with the average the average black man or you're allowed you're allowed privilege i mean that the average black man would like I, these motherfuckers like i'm ceo of a of a theater of a nonprofit like come on now that doesn't that it doesn't even make any sense see what i'm saying <laughs> But the only reason is because of what I have done with my young life. And it was I chose to make records. And because I made a record that people like, now that gives me influence over other people. It makes it gives people a certain sense of credibility in a field I have no knowledge of. But I've killed it. I've killed it because that was the trick. It was like, yo, most CEOs, when they come and take over another company, they're usually coming from a whole different aspect or a whole different product. Like, you know, they take a serial guy and make him CEO, president of a university and, and vice versa, because they don't like the CEOs that have experience in the fields. They like to have new, fresh blood. And that's what I did. And I was actually able to save Freedom Theater. You know what I'm saying? Well, not single handedly. I had some help. Well, the next thing we need to, you to save is the industry of podcasting. We need you to save that next. So what's your plan? Nah, man, I'm, I'm with you, bro. It's like, I'm just following your lead on that one. I'm like, hey, listen, <laughs> you know, but people, you know, somebody told me that they said, yo, man, your podcast is giving me life. And I said, well, I think that's positivity. It's like, if, if they say, hey, your podcast is giving me death. <laughs> I think that would have been fucked up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a that's a new goal right there. I need, I need to find somebody to do a podcast that's going to give people death. <laughs> like, what is, what is that going to be like? But... I mean, I'm I'm loving it so far. I think, you know, there's a thing happening in the culture right now where, like, there's a real value being put back on truth-telling. And I think that what you and Truck are doing is going to fit right into that. Do y'all have any, like, guiding principles to it? Or, or like, what, what are y'all thoughts going into to each episode in terms of, like, what y'all are going to tackle? I mean, you know, our main thing is staying black and dying. You know what I'm saying? So, because we know we got to cover that. That's what's up. That's that's the best podcast tagline ever. Our main thing is staying black and because We're going to stay true to that shit. You know what I'm saying? Nah, but you know, I mean, the real of it is we like to talk about what's going on in society as a whole. And that that's a wide range from music to politics to whatever. Like, whatever's going on, we just like to just offer our opinion. And I think me and Truck have two totally unique views on the world. But at the same time... We're still connected by some kind of common ground of, of stuff that we actually believe in together. Me and Truck are two totally different people. Like, my ideal outfit is a pair of khakis, you know what I'm saying, and a button-up and a blue blazer. If I put that on Truck, that would almost be like torturing him, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it, it, 24 hours of Truck wearing khakis, I would have to check his pulse to see if he was still alive, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, but I think that's where we come. And, I, and Truck is so smart. His perspective on the world and just life in general, he, he sometimes he gives me a different perspective. And I think that's the uniqueness of it. Like, you know, I get to just come with the my feeling. Okay, this happened and boom, I just blurt out how I'm feeling. And the truck's like, well, you know what? I feel you. But maybe, da 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 you know, it's just, it's a good match. You know what I mean? I feel like it is too, man. And I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing a bunch more. That's the Raw Report here on Stony Island Audio. Network, man. We're happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. I feel very fortunate to have y'all. And 
man, so you know, I'm gonna have to get you on here again at some point, man, because I feel like me and you could talk for hours too. But uh, I just definitely wanted to talk for a little bit, explore your history, because I've been a fan for so long. And thank you for being here and 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 opening your mind. And yeah, dude, appreciate you and and look forward to hearing more of everything you do, comedy, music, podcasting, astrophysics, whatever you decide to get into. Stony Island Audio.